We're all gathered here today to listen to a dwarf cast by Ganymede and Titan. Start the tape, please, Holly. Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. Yes, Hattie Haywish, this is a dwarf cast. Uh, the first one for quite some time. <laughs> uh, sorry about that, but we're back now. Uh, and this is our first regular episode commentary since September 2017. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we brilliant at doing the very basics of our job? Um, but yes, uh, this is the episode commentary for series six, episode four, Emo Hook Polymorph 2. There's a lot of numbers in there, aren't there? Uh, I'm Ian Symes, and with me is John Hoare. Hello. Tanya Jones. Hello. And Danny Stevenson. Hello. And we are about to turn on the Blu-ray, <laughs> just for an added Ooh. free song. Uh, we've chosen to watch the Blu-ray version of this, uh, especially as I'm the only one on the G&T team that bothered to actually buy it and watch it. <laughs> Uh, so this will be the first time that the other three have seen the Blu-ray version of Series 6. But if you want to just line up whatever version of uh, the episode you've got, I'm sure it'll still work. And uh, you can do that by pressing play after these peeps. Do you want to go into stasis for the rest of the trip and forfeit 18 months' wages? Do you want to listen to Dwarf Cast by Ganymede and Titan? Choose. And here it is, and the Blu-ray clearly shows up the uh, weirdness of having those red bars that don't really match. (laughs) (laughs) Now, am I correct in thinking that one thing the Blu-ray fixes is the DVD cutting off the the bottom of the picture? Yes, actually. Um, Yeah, it's one of the rare instances that it was worth upgrading it. Yeah. Which makes me wonder if it was fixable. Why wasn't it just fixed when? I can't remember what exactly the issue was, and I think it was something to do with the way it was digitized for the DVD. There was uh, some sort of corruption there mm-hmm. that required them to to crop things off, but I can't remember the details. Yeah, and uh, fuck it. Fair enough. <laughs> Google it. Uh, I really like him, Hawk, quite a lot. Um, it's it's often, not well liked. I've just remembered time. that what I normally do. Um, oh, in, in the first bit. <laughs> We're out of practice. Go on quickly. To, they won't to, notice. Um, reveal how it how it performed in the most recent survey, which was the Pearl Poll, and it was the worst one of Series Six. I remember that much. Um, Control F. Email. It was fortieth. Uh, <laughs> it finished fortieth out of um, seventy one. Um, the worst one of series six, um, uh, and quite low in terms of the series one to six bubble. Yeah. In fact, the third lowest of the original thirty-six, according to the to the poll. But I agree. I've always rated emo hook. Yeah. May I take the opportunity to point out that this this means that Chris Barry has played two characters who delight in um, perhaps unnecessary and overcomplicated emergency drills. It's a part of Rimmer's character throughout because yes. you think of the way that Body Snatcher starts yeah. with, the, with the unnecessary roll call. And it's... Yes. Um, Adhering to the principles, even though everyone else on board does not give a single shit about them. 
This scene has two of my favourite jokes in the whole of Red Dwarf. Uh, this one now, Vietnam crew cuts both sides, no score draw. <laughs> the idea of Vietnam being a no score draw is brilliant. And then Cat uh, saying, well, Rimmer, would it harm you to have hair like mine? Cat, <laughs> I have got hair like yours, just not on my head. Those are two brilliant jokes that I do not think get enough credit. Yeah. It's quite a rude joke for this era of yeah, Red Dwarf. It is. <laughs> As indeed is Cat saying, does mouse shit roll? That's always <laughs> weird. Is that this episode? Or I think I it is, because it's the one yeah. with the, the ocean moon, you have to, you yeah. have to go to the thing to break the stab on. Perhaps a re-smelling is in order. <laughs> is and talking of the, of the fat Hawaiian hula hoop dancer, I'm I'm, big, I'm sort of uh, struggling to understand why the skirt would shimmy any slower or faster. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe it, that's it not sounds what the... like It has the pattern of a joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like Rimmer finally losing patience, going, forget it, forget I was ever born. <laughs> he's, he's finally got fed up. <laughs> oh, we're, we're coming up to one of the worst special effect shots in Red Dwarf history, yes. followed shortly after by one of the best, <laughs> bizarrely. Yeah, uh, the, um, the 2D spinning disc. They clearly kind of ran out of time and money or whatever. It was, it was one of the effects that were... It was a video effect, wasn't it? That was yeah. done. getting giddy. Yeah, Look, this doesn't work. Were they getting giddy at all? <laughs> yeah, because I think yeah, I don't really know how they'd fix that though without it. You're you're better off not having it at all, aren't you? Yeah. Just yeah. just the effect on the crew. Yeah, you'd be better off maybe seeing the ship approach, and then if you couldn't do the warping effect, you need to establish the ships there at some point. <clears throat> it matches the sound quite well to the effect, though. It's actually quite a, a good. I don't know what. what... And this is Hugh Quashy. Yes. Who was uh, Captain Tanaka in Star Wars? Ah. In Holby City? Yeah. Not Captain Tanaka in Holby City. That's quite a pedigree for a very, very small role in Red Dwarf. We've got Ainsley Harrod, mate. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Come on. We don't loot space core derelicts, we just hack away in and strike <coughs> what we need. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I really like. I do think this is one of the best cockpit scenes in the whole of Red Dwarf. It works really, really well. It's an embarrassment of riches, isn't it? Really, with yeah. series six, there's always at least I think at least one per episode cockpit yeah. scene, and they're all great. It's a di- it's that different dynamic that series six has, which is you know the story being that <clears throat> their experience in America, uh, Rob and Doug have seen the way the writers' room there worked, yeah, and. Uh, the way American sitcoms often have just that relentless bang, bang, volume bang. of gags one after another, and if there's one that you don't like, it doesn't matter because here's another one. Uh, I think it really works to its advantage, and I think it's it was a new di- you know six series in. It's, <coughs> it's weird to think of it now when we we see Red Dwarf as this behemoth that's lasted for over thirty years mm. and has had episodes made in in now in four different decades. Um. That at this stage, they're moving what was starting to become an old format into new directions. Yeah, obviously they'd made the decision uh, to get rid of Holly and Red Dwarf and just focus on the four. But as well as doing that, they're telling different types of jokes and they're yeah. doing different things than they've ever done before. But at the same time, that line about the Eastbourne Zimmerfrain relay team—you <laughs> can imagine that in, say, Wrinkles, or yeah, or th- there's there's the kind of the best of both worlds. I would suggest here, yeah, and, and there's the you know the concentration on the fact that they are on their own 
in deep space and they make references here to, to essentially it being the wild west and their horse rustlers and <coughs> they're basically in mortal danger and you really feel i know we keep banging on about jeopardy but we really feel it in this scene especially mm. i think you really buy it by the way i really like that sorry bud looks it looks like you do have to tell me twice <laughs> it's so stupid while we're mentioning specific lines can i just point out that bony butts are move net net uh, bony butts are move lets has always annoyed me because it should be butts bony are move i was hoping <laughs> and then it this is great. There's only one problem with this, is that when Starbug gets set on fire, that fire is far too extreme compared to what we actually see on set. Like, <laughs> they should all be on fire. They should be dead. They should be dead and on flames. <laughs> um, I mean, it's a great shot, but that is not what yeah, that set is that's reflecting. Licking, that's in the windows. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's an inferno. That's unsurvivable. Yeah, yeah that, that doesn't work. Uh, that's always annoyed me. That's the explosion that took them all out properly. Like, yeah. You know, more oh extreme yes. Than out of Did, time. This hit, one hit, actually hit. hurt Danny, didn't yeah, it? Not that, that one. one. The one from the back. It was the one that. Hit oh, is it? Yeah. Oh right. Okay. Oh, yeah. Of you see all that in the documentary. The sort of aftermath of that. Of yeah. everyone. Oh, shit. Are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's oh, interesting. Yeah, Click is spelt with a K. Well, is that a real actual? Yes. It's a real naval thing. I don't know whether it's naval or some military alphabet, but it's short for kilometer. Is it always on Yeah, it's a ra- oh. it's a radio signal for kilometer. Click. Well, well. And so I have go. learned something. Yeah. If that's um, wrong, then that was a really decisive. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to correct myself because I said it was Captain Tanaka. It's Captain Panaka. No, oh. just want to correct that. <laughs> ho ho ho! <laughs> um, this is one of my favourite shots in the whole of Red Dwarf. It's so. Brilliantly yeah, this done. Is fantastic. That it's that it's great enough, and then to have Starbuck flying through, yeah. it's what it is. On you, fire. On fire. It's the thing with Red Dwarf special effect sequences is there's usually one thing happening at once, and in that there's two. Is that a which is a, of the of the shot we saw before? I don't know actually how they did it. It doesn't look like it. Did it looks just too see smooth. The two shots and see if the fire's the same. I, I would suspect it would be difficult to composite it because you've got the debris in the way and it's all. The only thing you can mask out is the black, and that'll be quite easy with that shot. Yeah, that's a great shot as well. Yeah, that's good. That, that does feel very thick, and like the, so, the the weight of that shot is quite. It feels right. And after this, now you just kind of feel this kind of morning after, so to speak, mm. feel this kind of. Oh, it uh, actually feels like a one. genuine yeah. survival. Yeah, like we've <laughs> they've got, got through. And, and, part... Guitar. <laughs> and part of that is because they gave that cockpit sequence a proper amount of time to build up the peril. It wasn't 30 seconds and you're done. Yeah. And yet the pace is, you know, relentless. Yeah. <coughs> Although perhaps this is one of the early examples of something that we always talk about when we talk about the Dave era of there being so much packed into an episode. That actually, by the time Ace and Dwayne turn up, which is kind of the hook and the thrust of the episode, <laughs> it is quite late on in the running order. Yeah. Yeah. And yet there's nothing that you'd really want to change. There's nothing yeah. that you'd really want to lose, I don't think. I don't think the so. The right amount of time is used for that. That's idea. a great shot. And it's such a, it's something I never really noticed when I first used to watch it as a kid. I never realised there was a little boat with the little dudes in it <laughs> <laughs> floating away. Was that specially shot for this episode, or is that taken from Terraform? No, I think it was meant for this. It was because there's mm. also a similar shot in Terraform, isn't there? But no, I think you're right. It's... 
different. And this oh, this is... is such a stupid joke. <laughs> so stupid. This is uh, this is Shepperton Battlelot, isn't it? Yes, it yeah. is. It's, com- it's the comics with cross set, isn't it? Uh, yes, of course. John, you did an article about this recently. What was that? Covington Cross. Oh God, yes, I did read it. It's brilliant. <laughs> uh, January um, twenty nineteen. If you want to look back, the GNTV where I went and compared all the screen grabs of Emahawk with Covington Cross, a unpopular US Maid Marion and her Merry Men rip-off. <laughs> it's the best way I can describe it. Uh, but without Danny John Jules. But with, <laughs> yeah, but with Ron Pember yeah. and with Chloe Innett. Remember, remember the face of Ron Pember. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Chloe Innett tied up, interestingly, just for the record if you want to go and watch it. <laughs> Good little families you've got. <laughs> Funny. Oh. Uh, uh. Have to say, maybe if I'm being picky, the bit with um, yep, yeah, that came from a bow, all right. We didn't need cats. Sorry, I was expecting cats a lot more than that. Maybe an early sign of some of the over-explaining, perhaps. Here he is. Jimmy Here Nail. Is. One of Jimmy Nail's <laughs> most prominent roles. <laughs> <laughs> And if you're someone that just listens to the podcast and doesn't visit the website or the Twitter feed, then sorry. <laughs> that means nothing to you. Um, I didn't get what Sphinctal Orifices was for quite a while. <laughs> That's not like you. Yeah, I was quite. I used to be quite innocent. I, I always wondered what it was, and then I figured it out. I mean, See, to I be watched... fair, your arsehole is not the only sphincter in your body, so a sphinctal orifice is a strange description of your arse. <laughs> well, it might mean you're... Um... Very coy. Yeah. You have more your iris and your eyes. But either would be uncomfortable, wouldn't it? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I watched um, Wayne's World from a very young age, so I was wise to the ways of the sphincter. (laughs) (laughs) Is, yeah, the polymorph is kind of... Is it the first recurring villain? (laughs) Or, like, recurring alien species? Like, obviously we have various types of simulants over the years. I believe it is the first... And we had lots of different types of gelf, of which polymorph is one. And it's always annoyed me since. (laughs) And this is not a fault of Emo Hawk, it's a fault of other Red Dwarf that came afterwards. That at some point along the line, gelf became shorthand for this type of gelf, the Kinetawawi type of gelf. And so you get a lot of jokes about Gelf language and and in Beyond a Joke where they say we're going to disguise ourselves as Gelfs. At some point, <clears throat> it's been forgotten that Gelf was a, uh, a catch-all term. An umbrella term yeah. for old aliens. That, aren't let's face it, uh, yeah, a catch-all to get round the fact that they wish they hadn't said there were no aliens. <laughs> yes, in a <the> dwarf. <laughs> because none of this really relies that much on it being, oh dear. Uh, Wickwocks. Stephen Wickham <laughs> playing his first role in Red Dwarf. Yeah, he's playing playing a female, a girl female. Yeah. Is there something a little uncomfortable with these jokes these days? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yes. Well, there we are. I mean, <laughs> they were, Doug they were... written worse more recently, yeah, so they're, I'm they're not a, necessarily half of the course in. Back when this was written, I do like the Cisco lighting gag. I can't justify it. I do think it's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of it's the sort of new lad <laughs> era, isn't it? The, yeah. When this was made, mm. 
uh, loaded fantasy football, men behaving badly. You could actually throw that joke into men behaving badly untouched, yeah. yes. and it would work. And this was a weird little thing that the stats do in series six with with Lister saying, "Let's do something," and like, "Let's do something," and here's a, a real situation. Let's get real. Let, let's knock mm. on the door and ask for Ronnie real. Let's. That was really like a catchphrase that didn't really work. I suppose it's one of the formulas that Rob and Doug use, like slower than, faster than, etc. ones, deader than. Uh, The Space Corps directives, obviously. I'm still thinking of Lister's (laughs) G-spot. Where is it? It's it's up his arse. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's just here behind the knee. (laughs) And another thing um, that later was kind of retconned is... When I they heard that was rectal. <laughs> Carry on. That, uh, that Gelfs speak in whereas in fact it's just their names yeah. that are like that. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's entirely in beyond a joke that I'm thinking of where that's they just dumbed down Emahawk, didn't they? Let's mm. face it. Because yeah. it's the height of sophistication. Of course, <laughs> that was the funniest bit there for concentrate on that. What without a bag. <laughs> I do very much like the catching the bogey. Yeah, I really do. I don't think I got it at first no. <laughs> because I didn't know that. What, what that <laughs> That's really good reaction. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is all in Covington Cross. This uh, this particular building, These especially buildings. Yeah, yeah. Um, very obviously. So once you start comparing, which no Freemasons handshake. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's Crichton taking it so seriously and being a good diplomat yes. and being and being very uh, tolerant of other people's cultures and wanting to fit in. It's just it results in him playing it so seriously and such dignity. It's something I think maybe Crichton could do a little more of that in some of the Davia episodes. Shall we mm. say taking it a little more seriously. <laughs> See, I do just think of the bit in uh, Last Human with this. It's Last Human, isn't it? Isn't it? Where Lister sleeps yeah. with retrocribbing. Oh my God, he was close to climax. <laughs> <laughs> he was disgusted with himself. Had he no self-control? Oh yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> His internal doubt. Yeah, it goes. It goes further in the books than it does yeah. in the series. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, it gets a little laugh for their miss. Men, they're all bastards. <laughs> so, this is kind of the end of the first half and the yeah. end of one episode and the beginning of another. In, and we are. 17 minutes 30. God, that went fast. Into a 28-minute episode. That went really fast. And we're, and we're yet to introduce the big returning um, guest star. I suppose we could uh, compare this to A Gypsy's Curse, really, couldn't it? The feet, that's what's uh, sort of uh, yeah. inspiring yes. this, isn't it? Absolutely. They're renamed on the deal. So, yeah, they, they get a curse. I do love the... The double bluff with the stick yeah, yeah. is really, I forget, really funny. I used to forget as a kid that it actually was the stick. <laughs> it is the stick! <laughs> and one of the most stupid shots in any Red Dwarf episode ever is coming up. <clears throat> and it's 
This there. one. <laughs> the problem is he's kind of slightly obviously having to walk too carefully. Yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't fall off. So I want to tackle the big criticism that's often level at this episode, which is it's lazy because all it's doing is reusing uh, ideas from previous episodes and that's bollocks mm. well, and there's a reason why it's bollocks and the reason is if you were just redoing emo, uh, redoing Polymorph that might be lazy if you were just redoing Ace Rimmer that might be lazy if you were just redoing Dwayne Dibley that might be lazy the entire point of this episode is Rob and Doug saying oh you like all that stuff do you right three sequels in one <laughs> here you go that's what makes it fun that you're doing three sequels in one and that's an idea that's just worth doing as far as I'm concerned. It's often the nub of the criticism of it is that it's trying to do too much in one. And when you consider, <coughs> yeah, it's not until we've got ten minutes to go that the other two sequels <laughs> get involved, then maybe I can see where people are coming from with that. But I think judging it as a, as a, epi- a cohesive episode as a whole, I don't think it's an issue. I think you could do more with it, but that's not a criticism. I think you have to look at what the episode is trying to achieve and it's trying to achieve exactly what it's setting out to do. The, the idea is the, the multiple sequels. Mm. Um, by the way, that's a really weird bit there where Cat suddenly decides to start talking to himself and wanders off. And then this is weird as well, this kind of weird points of view changes going on here. Like, we never usually just have everyone walk off and suddenly start following Cat. <clears throat> mm. We never usually have a paper airplane fly in and suddenly see Rimmer there. If Capsie was here, this was Capsie's main criticism of this episode, I think I'm thinking of Capsie, is um, the cheer that Dwayne gets when he emerges. It's very American whoopy sitcom yeah. audience. but It doesn't bug know. me. It really doesn't bug me. It's Dwayne Dibley, and it's the first time it's reused. It's not that long after Back to Reality, really. Yeah, that's interesting. Isn't it's it? not like in you know in series um, twelve we get old characters returning. And it's Torquay and it's in it's Hollister and Holly, and they've not been in it for so so long at this point. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean <coughs> to be fair, this episode is not as good as Polymorph. It's not as good as Back to Reality, and it's not as good as Dimension Jump. Yeah, I've never said it was. It's less that's than the not sum a, of its parts. That is not a crime to not be as good as three of the best episodes of Red Dwarf yeah. ever made. And in terms of the the polymorph element, it does do slightly different things with it because there's probably going to be examples uh, that might contradict this. But the most of the time in polymorph, the polymorph was disguised as a person or a or a creature yep. or whatever in this in they they rarely do the thing in polymorph of not being able to tell what it is i think the emo hawk um turns into inanimate objects and disguises yeah. itself more so it is a slightly different threat and yeah. a slightly different dynamic that you get it is and if there is a criticism of this second half um just as i praise the first half for being um, genuinely tense uh, and um, uh, building up the tension and building up the jeopardy. This second half doesn't have an awful lot of that. It's more, yeah, it's comedic peril. Yeah, uh, it, it would be nice it. if it felt a little more dangerous, maybe. But, you know, what are you going to do with 10 minutes? <laughs> yeah. I enjoy that special effect, that's nice. That's that's the well slinky done. going up. That's yeah, really well it's very done. Cool. That's really well it's done. quite creative. I mean, what was the big thing about this that Chris Barry wasn't happy with the wig? Yeah, it wasn't the original wig because 
they they couldn't find it, and it was alleged that the reason that they couldn't find it is because he'd nicked it. Oh, really? <laughs> is that right. not from season on series seven though? Is that not? No, no it was all. I mean, it was this. This is clearly a different wig as well. It's uh, yeah. Rob and or Doug insists that there was tales that he Chris wore the ace wig home. <laughs> couldn't bear to not have it. I kind of believe it. <laughs> Uh, this is a here's a interesting point. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously Ace and Dwayne, two massively iconic characters. Yeah. If Crichton and Lister were to have got got by the emo hawk and turned into past alternate versions of themselves, which ones would you choose? Because there's, there's kind of less to choose. Because like, <clears throat> unfortunately, for all of them, perhaps with the exception of Ace, the most iconic one alternate version is the one from Back to Reality mm. so you'd be tempted to have them be Sebastian Doyle and, yeah. and Jake Bullet, but that would, that uh, would be a bit I, I would have Crichton as eloquently put sir because <laughs> <laughs> that face is so weird um, I want to yeah. see it again oh you could get David Ross back and have him turn ah, into David Ross that would be they've taken out all his broken programming so Lister what alternative versions of Lister are there that's, uh, old man Lister from Future Records, and this is only up to Series Six as well, so you can't yeah. pick one from uh, from since then. Um, oh, here's a reboot of Rumor's personality, except he doesn't want it because he's Ace. Mm. Th- that bit of whooping there might be considered a little obnoxious. <laughs> I've got to be honest, but I don't, you know, what you gonna do? Again, this is just after. The American pilot as well, so they were letting a lot of stuff go. Oh, if, if we just had the line, "He's looking so geeky, you wouldn't get into a science fiction." Yes, <laughs> yes. It's very, it's very, it's perhaps very pertinent that the first dimension jump um, was just before series six, <laughs> and and Robin Doug were there, and shortly after this was the ten percenters with that episode based yeah. around a science fiction convention. They're clearly drawing from their experiences. That airlock starts opening I, before he's anywhere near the power I have to say, I think it's to Red Dwarf fans' credit that I've never heard anyone be offended by yeah, that science fiction combat. Yeah. And I think on some shows that would not be the case. Yeah. <laughs> this is quite a, a dark thing that's happening yes. here. Yes. about to break his neck. He's trying to <laughs> yeah. murder Dwayne Dudley. And, um, <coughs> and there's a longer version of this in the deleted scenes, which, yeah. as I recall, they were really sad to lose. Mm-hmm. There's a, yeah, there's the that's the join. In fact, from yeah. that bit to them bursting in. I do like those uh, weapons. The one Crichton's holding. Yeah, like a little mini bazookoid, pistol bazookoid. And that isn't that's, that's a big Ace gets a huge cock. It's not old. Yeah, I mean it's not the biggest bazookoid I've seen. It's not really. <laughs> <laughs> I've always thought that effect on the floor wasn't the best they could have done. <laughs> Gonna do. It's very old school, really, isn't it? It's kind of a painted on type thing. Of course, this is actually Red Dwarf's corridor redone. I've been looking at the corridors recently. The corridors in Starbug are actually Red Dwarf's corridors from series three, series four, and five, all messed oh, around with. I can see they've had a paint job. They've had a paint job, yeah. but the basic structure is the same, and it continues into series seven. If you look at the Starbug corridors in series seven, it's Red Dwarf's corridors from series four. Well, that would make sense. They're both, um, they're both ships built by the same company, yeah. and they are designed to be part of a set. So yeah. they do a relatively good job at hiding it. I mean, I don't think many people looked at this and thought, ah, yeah, you know, 
Yeah, it's good both on a on a sort of brand building level for the show, <laughs> and also fictionally, it does make sense. I do like the line. I think we have a suspect. Yeah. <laughs> it's very understated, considering. I think it'd be nice if it turned out to be the one in his right hand. <laughs> he had it all along. Yeah. Although is that, is that, is that the joke again. It sounds like he's licking him. <laughs> 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 I really like the fact that they acknowledge and sort of hang a lampshade on. How did you know it wouldn't damage your hard light drive? Yeah, it didn't. Didn't really. Yeah. <laughs> this episode's gone really fast. Well, yeah. I mean, these Dwayne and Ace only turned up about five minutes ago, and now it's all over. Now, here's the thing. Why does Rimmer? turn back why doesn't he just stay like that because it because Crichton mentions earlier says that their minds are completely distorted but so it's like as if he's not quite like it's not <clears throat> it's not there's something missing from him so that, it's not like as if he's he's, he's all there that's true but <clears throat> i still don't think that he would also, change no i think that ace would change if this is ace's personality and ace's mind mm-hmm. Ace knows that the right thing to do would be to give Rimmer, put Rimmer back to normal. Because he'd be sort of taking the place, he'd be effectively killing off that version of Rimmer if he stayed. So I think you're right that Rimmer might choose to stay as Ace if it's his decision, but actually this is Ace's decision. And he does say, like, can I just have a little bit more time before I have to change back? Yeah. In that case, can I just give me, just give me five? In that case, Ace Rimmer's far nicer than me. Yeah. I'm I'm not, I'm I'm not giving that Well, that's the point of Ace Rimmer, isn't it? I'm I'm (laughs) staying exactly where I am. I I think it's a danger to yourself as well. Yeah, actually, I mean, I've got, I've got a colleague who's close to Ace Rimmer. He's that nice. (laughs) But, yeah, no, he's still quite, not quite as nice as that. To a fault. Almost to a fault. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I like Emo Hawk. I really like Emo Hawk. I, I think it gets a bad rap. Yeah, and then I, I definitely don't think it's... I mean, it's, it's hard to say worst, really, when you're talking about Series yeah. 1 to 6, but I don't think it's the least good of Series 6. I would, I would put it above Rimmer World I and so, possibly yeah. Sirens as well. You see, I, I, th- I think definitely Rimmer World. Sirens is... I give a bit of a free pass on because Sirens is has the job of introducing a new status quo which I think it does really well which means you can't quite it's it's got to do a it's got to do a slightly different job to any, mm. any other episode of Red Dwarf yeah and you've got to go view it in the, the context <sighs> having said that the problem with Sirens is it's effectively Polymorph 2 and then this <laughs> is Polymorph 3 <laughs> so which means we actually got Polymorph 4 in Red Dwarf <laughs> Eleven, yeah. so the the main problem with Sirens, which we talk about, is is I think that a Sirens is too too similar mm. to, and it's especially too similar to the polymorph in this episode, linking in with what you were saying earlier about what polymorphs like. Yeah, but I, I really like this episode. It's got so many good lines, and this is this is the last of our series six commentaries. Oh. we've done all the rest. So yeah, and and handily. The the one good thing about the Blu-ray is that you get a nice little <coughs> list of, of the episodes afterwards as a li- nice little reminder. So just looking at those, I'm thinking, what a what a series that is. <laughs> so you've got Gunman of the Apocalypse, 
you've got um, I've run out of hilarious jokes on that idea already. <laughs> but you get you get where I was going. Uh, yeah, Gunman overshadows really discussion of series six is because mm. it's such a classic. It's never been one of my favourites. It's one of those that I acknowledge that it's brilliant, obviously. But in terms of actual faves, I mean, Out of Time is just such a special episode yeah, it for me, is. really. Mm. It really is. The the feeling at the time of <laughs> shitting myself and then thinking that this was the end and how are they going to get out of You want one? Jeopardy out of yeah. times where you really get it. Legion is so accomplished. Yeah. yeah. Mm. It, like... It's, it's nice on looking. a technical level, <laughs> on a comedy writing technicality. It's, it's, a, it's a lovely so looking good. level as well. Uh, level. It's a lovely looking, <laughs> lovely looking level. It's a lovely looking <laughs> episode. Um, yes, and obviously the virus idea in Gunman of the Apocalypse is reused in MCOR, isn't it? Yeah. Ah, yes. Except perhaps controversially, although I think Gunman is a better episode than MCOR. MCOR is using the idea to say perhaps more interesting things than Gunman. I don't know exactly what the message you take away from Gunman is. Well, there you have it, folks. John Hoare is now saying that Series 12 <laughs> is better than Series 6. We've got that on record. You can't take uh, that back. I, I think Gunman is a better episode than MCOR, but I think the thing you can say in, in MCOR's favour is it makes you think a little more than Gunman, I would say. Uh, and I mean think in a positive way as in what was this episode about let me think very hard for two years and still not come up with something (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I really like Series 6 Series 6 I think used to be one of my favourites as I get older it's shrinking slightly in my view and uh, very unfairly really I I don't quite know why Um, it's it's a little less character-based than previous series, and I, I find that to be more and more important mm. as I got older. But in terms of um, out-and-out comedy, it's some of the funniest stuff Red Dwarf's ever done. I think, for me, it's always going to be special because it was the current Red Dwarf when I first got into it. Mm. It wasn't The first I saw was Series 5, uh, but that was on video. Series 6 was the first that I saw as it went out. And so, for me, it's the version of the show that I fell in love with, so obviously it's going to be up there. I mean, I think when people say, oh, well, Series 6 got so formulaic, it's like, (coughs) it is, in a sense, yes, maybe it did, but we're talking about six episodes here. We're not talking about a show that went on for ten series and did 13 episodes for series, and it was all formulaic. Are we really saying there's no room in the format for Red Dwarf to take six episodes and say, right, what can we do with this format? Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. And if, you know, whatever fault Series 7 has, it didn't repeat Series 6. Yeah. It moved to something different, something, in my opinion, not as good, but that's kind of by the by. I think the only reason you would have to criticise Series 6, surely, is if they then just carried on and made 7 the same and 8 the same and 9 the same and 10 the same. Mm. There's nothing wrong with doing six episodes of that. Because, of course, it was inspired by the American way of doing things, but naturally the product is going to be different because, as you touched upon, you're doing six episodes at a time, not 13 or 24. Yeah. Um, So having those little formulated bits would quickly become tedious yeah. in the in the other way of doing things but I mean, is, as a is self-contained it possible, is it possible that they've been accused of, of being formulaic here because they have pretty much perfected 
the half hour sitcom here mm. that mm. It, it is they're all a complete pleasure to watch they all have a very clear plot they all have very clear character points and yeah. they're funny with jokes and you I don't think you could I don't think there is a, a reasonable conversation I could have about any of these um, episodes in series six where I could say oh well I could see a joke being done differently maybe or you know bits going differently that everything seems to be tidied up and <coughs> hung together I think you kind of have it's very easy <laughs> well I mean I can only speak for me I find it very easy when I've been a Red Dwarf fan for as many years as I have to underestimate Red Dwarf mm. and underestimate this era of Red Dwarf and actually I know exactly what you mean when you say perfecting the form I've often kind of said in the past kind of things like oh well you know I really like Red Dwarf but actually I find X funnier or Y funnier or Z funnier but that's because I haven't overseen, <laughs> like I haven't watched yeah. over and over again. Like <laughs> if I choose to put something on the television, probably not going to choose to put Ema Hawk on. I'm going to choose an episode of Britus I've not seen in ages, or an episode of I Being Served that I've not seen at all. But if you're talking from the point of view of a normal person, <laughs> as opposed to what we are, there is a really strong argument that this is, if not the pinnacle of... Um, half hour sitcom, UK half hour sitcom, fucking close. Yeah, mm. it's really up there with the best of stuff that we've ever made. Yes, and it's really easy to forget that when you've seen it a hundred times. <coughs> I think the only, but I think that's why. I mean, Red Dwarf. We could go on for ages about how sci-fi is underestimated and belittled and generally not taken seriously by certain certain sections of people. Um, but yeah, and I think the reason why um, people seem to go for the attack rather than the praise is that I think a lot of people find it difficult to praise Red Dwarf because they because there's the geeky element to it because mm. there's this because there's that there's some people in costumes and they're not really sure how to take it um, <laughs> because it reminds them of how they were when they were 14 sometimes but, let's be honest I, yeah I think there is certainly if it's going to appeal to anyone it's going to appeal to the young and certainly I remember when in series 3 when it was the series I got hooked it was definitely probably a, a case of me being young and it being full of interesting stuff that I've never seen before on television um, because yeah I mean there was I kind of gap between when Doctor Who finished and so it's I never really used to watch Doctor Who and that's it that seemed to be sort of approaching the sci-fi people from a different angle I think mm. I was always more of a comedy person than I was a sci-fi oh, person sure. yeah. and so then Red Dwarf just kind of slipped into the gap there. which is an interesting point when you come on to um uh, Star Trek because um, we've been watching Star Trek together a lot recently mm. but I've been <laughs> extensively arguing on Twitter that um, Star Trek works best when it's viewed through the lens of sitcom Yeah, hmm. and I do think that's true I think and that I, think... I, I sometimes look at Red Dwarf and Star Trek and think you're not that different from each no, other no they're really not they also um, even with you know something that's sort of as, as highly regarded as Star Trek we're, we're watching it and we've been sort of set, you know, reacting to some we're going, 
oh that's not working is it oh there's interference you can't use your transporters oh you know we've never heard that before hmm. because that it just comes up as a trope now that, that you know they go down to a planet they can't get back up um immediately and so i think there is a there's also a, an inherent issue with sci-fi is that if you've got a particular universe and a setup that's what you operate in between or around and you've got but you've got tropes for all universes that you know you've got the same tropes in um only fools and horses yeah. Same catchphrases, yeah. but you don't see people going, oh, it's so formulaic. <laughs> and it's like, well, of course it is, because it's a sitcom, and that's the nature of a sitcom. I mean, yeah, I wonder if people do punish Red Dwarf for being a comedy, in mm. that sense. Well, yeah. also, I think Red Dwarf 6 gets criticised partly fairly, partly not fairly, because you're coming right off the back of Series 5. The best, yeah. And Series Probably 5 has a lot ever. of things going for it. I not sure I think it's the best series, but if you're going to argue it is the best series, I can't argue against it, yeah. put it like that. Um, you're coming off the final episode, Back to Reality, which probably is the best episode of yes. Red Dwarf ever made. I, I, well, I, I if can't. we ever do a poll where it's not, then I will eat your yeah. hat. <laughs> um, and I think compared to Series 5, it's quite easy to criticise Series 6. I mean, one criticism mm. I would level at Series 6, it's not a fair one, it feels more claustrophobic than five and quite substantially more claustrophobic than five. The thing is, that's kind of deliberately what it's doing. Yeah, yeah. It's a very unfair criticism. Yeah. That's what they've decided to go for. It's just personally speaking, I prefer a little bit more space. But what is interesting about that is you get people who sit there and criticise Red Dwarf. Oh, well, it just went all action and um, after series two... Uh, you know, they, 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 you know, it just got too big and expansive. Series six reigns that back in. Mm. No one ever fucking talks about that. Yeah. No one ever says, "Oh, I really like Red Dwarf one and two, and all six did some interesting things." No, there's always to be that line before and after, and I can't include myself in that. I remember being quite surprised at one point to kind of discover that some people. Like, we've all got a point where we think Red Dwarf went wrong, right? <laughs> For most people, the general consensus is that that happened between Series 6 and 7. Mm-hmm. But there are a substantial amount of people, and then the other extreme is that people that think it went shit after Series 2. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but there is a, a more substantial amount of people than I first thought that would lump Series 6 in with 7 and 8, because yeah. it's so different to what came before, yeah. and the and the the status quo has changed in such a dramatic way, perhaps even more so than between um, two and three. I have Because in lot... two and three, you've got one character that's the same but different, and you've got a new character that's added to the mix, but that's not changing anything about the old way of doing things. I've seen an awful lot of people do that, and especially on Twitter when I'm talking to non-hardcore Red yes. Wolf fans. Yeah. There are a fair few people who think five is the last decent series. Which is... Uh, just and watch, and there are people. Watch are, this though; it's really good. <laughs> and then there are people who say, "Oh no, I really liked it up until including seven. I just didn't like eight onwards." Uh, yeah. We do kind of have this slightly false narrative because we all generally agree. But I do find it fascinating that Red Dwarf is a, a series on which people need to have an opinion. <laughs> and I don't think I've met anyone or talked to anyone who hasn't got an opinion on Red yeah. Dwarf, and I think that's fascinating in itself. Yeah, that's true. It's I think the most common one is fond nostalgia mm. um, of just yeah it always means something to someone uh, even if they hate it <laughs> there is a really interesting um, subset of people who 
I've talked to who like it up to including say series five, series six. They didn't like series seven onwards and they haven't gone and seen what the Dave era is up to. Oh, it, I constantly get people surprised. <laughs> no, if I if I meet um, <laughs> on the rare occasions where I meet people that aren't Red Dwarf fans, <laughs> but, you know, at work and things like that, when I when I come out as a Red Dwarf fan to people, <laughs> a lot of people say, "Oh, when was the last series of that?" And I say, "2017." <laughs> like, what? Oh, it's <laughs> back. <laughs> I mean, that's... Like, how did you miss the fact that it was back? I mean, obviously we're going to know about it because of what we do <coughs> but it's just billboards everywhere yeah. it's on every ad break on multiple channels it's I mean, on the tube it's on trains but you see a lot of this is about um, the whole issue of media fragmentation mm. and I was um, uh, reading um, Twitter the other day and someone was talking about the new Russell C. Davis series Years and Years and um, someone said what's Years and Years and I'm thinking a few things I'm thinking well A it's clearly one of the biggest dramas of the year and the BBC think it's one of the biggest dramas of the year and B, and I, I can attest to this uh, we have run so many trails on BBC One and Two <laughs> for years and years, it is possibly the most run trail over the past three weeks um, on both BBC One and BBC Two I cannot think of a trail that has been placed more, so you've got trails endlessly on two of the biggest channels in the country and people still don't know it's on people are everywhere and nowhere mm. now yeah. and it's so difficult to get anything across to anyone so it really bugs me it's, it's interesting that you still have people complain about a large number of trails on the bbc and it's like i don't know how else you expect the bbc to get the word out <laughs> <laughs> i'll be honest how do you expect but you'd soon this to happen complain if they were spending license fee money on and mass advertising elsewhere. Well, yeah, yeah precisely. Some people are just never happy with anything the BBC do, obviously. Mm. <laughs> but, yeah, anything that sort of stops them from watching the programmes. But, you know, it never stops them very long. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, really, can't you just sit there? <laughs> it's not It's not very hard. I, I kind of feel, watching Series 6, that you... I can't... There is something about out of time, isn't there? Mm. Are we unusual in fandom for, I think so. for, for how much we place on out of time? Yeah, I think it's always uh, in our in our mini subset of, of like us lot, our friend group, yeah. um, as opposed to G and Tears, as in people that we don't know personally. Yeah, um, I think we're yeah. very. I think we're very tuned into the morals behind the behind Lister mainly um, and he has a very he had or at least used to have a very clear set of morals in you know series one to six and I think that really really appeals to us and it just mm. naturally appeals to us because of our world view um, and I think out of time turns it on its head yeah um, and that's a great thing because it makes us go. <gasps> yeah. it, it has the clearest, strongest intellectual idea mm. that also happens to be highly emotional at the same yeah. time. Uh, and when I talk about series six and I'm saying, oh, well, maybe the character work wasn't as strong in some episodes. Well, that cannot be leveled out of time mm. no, in I, any way. I, I, it's, it's talking. I mean, it's about age as well. Is that, you know, people will change their outlook when 
they're older they maybe own stuff they've got stakes in things and they be, you know if you were they always get a bit more right wing <laughs> yeah exactly like the, the old fears of the hippies working in insurance blah 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 yeah. blah blah but it's all that it's about fear of death fear of getting old fear of losing your principles or what happens to you and which and, didn't and, occur to me when I was seven, I must admit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with regards to it standing in the wider realm, I think Out of Time is a popular episode, but I think we like it more than most people do, and we would put it higher than yeah. most people would in yeah. their list. Yeah. Um, and I think the same was true at one point of Thanks for the Memory. But I feel that... Um, <laughs> It sounds very arrogant, but I feel that sort of we've we may have helped change opinion on thanks for the memory of it by championing it so much when previously it didn't really stand out that much within series two, but now a lot of people think of it as one of the stronger ones, uh, and I think um, I think everyone else should like out of time as much as we do. <laughs> I I think if you I mean we've been a very very vocal uh, group. In Red Dwarf Phantom, I mean, they, we just have. There's no way around it, um, and it's not arrogant because we think we're brilliant. It's just we've kept banging on long after people have stopped. <laughs> yeah. This is this is not arrogance. This is just we don't give up. <laughs> so we've gone on and gone on and on. And if you're the only ones left standing, people are going to have to listen to you because no one else is there to listen to. So if you want us to stop. <laughs> then just say that we're right and we'll fuck off. <laughs> and on I that think note, that, yeah, I think we're done. <laughs> that, no, we should probably fuck off. Yes. Uh, so thanks so much for listening. The next um, episode of Dwarfcasts will be the 100th edition of Dwarfcasts. Ooh. That's interesting. Will we mark the occasion with something special or will we just do nothing for years and, or months and then uh, and then forget and just release an episode commentary or something. Let's find out. Uh, but until then, um, remember that you can follow us on social media. Twitter handle is Ganymede Heighton. Okay. So this should give you an idea of the kind of person we're working okay. with. Okay. Thanks, Rich. That was Richard Herring. Oh. Um, and so all that remains to say is... Ed bye, everybody. Ed bye. Thank you for listening to G&T Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. Goodbye.